This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. We've got another hour of old-time radio crime for you this week, beginning with Broadway Is My Beat. We'll hear the Russ Warner murder case from January 22, 1952. After that, it's Murder Clinic and The Scrap of Lace. That episode aired September 22, 1942. Broadway's My Beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. The winds of January begin their unraveling, and Broadway shivers in doorways submits to the lingering cold touch of their passing without regret, huddling against it, turning it back to it. But the wilderness of steel and stone draped with glitter whispers on the darkness. And Broadway tries again, ventures out, digs down, finds the currency of nighttime, once more lays its bets against the dealers of night. Neon is the red and black is the shadows and the numbers of rooms. Three flights up into the hall where a smile waits, for a tear it's spinning, kid. Make your play. This could be it. And the dealers pay off in another way. As the man who wipes his hands in a bar apron offers you one. You'd ever been here before, you wouldn't say this was the same place, mister. This time of night, other nights, my little place of business is alive, teeming with frolic. What changed it tonight? The frolickers was driven away. Yeah, I can see that. Come on, wait what I got for you in the back room. Just wait. Thing to see. My back room, my cribbage room. Ain't it a shambles, mister? Who is this man? Worst shambles of all, ain't he? Russ Warner, citizen of Chicago. Two years ago when he dropped by for a visit, he looked in better health. He dead, mister? No, a shoulder wound. The bullet almost tore it apart. You lost a lot of blood. Why didn't you call an ambulance? I did. I did. I was laying myself odds who would get here first. You won. All right. Tell me what happened. Yeah. Russ walks into my place of business. Don't even pass a how-to-do. Just ask for the cribbage room. I give it to him because no one else was in here. And maybe an hour later, another man walks in. Ask for the cribbage room. I give it to him. All of a sudden, bing, bang, boom, I got, I got a bleeding man and four bullet holes in my plaster. Look, look, you see, Connor as one, and another, this one had a water pipe. Who was the other man? An utterly complete stranger. Tell me, mister, with personal damages like this, should I go on living? And a few minutes after that, the men salaried by the city to measure violence, photograph it, calibrate it, The men from Technical, also the white-coated boys with Stretcher and the remarks tailored to fit the occasion. Havoc and Russ Warner were being handled professionally, so leave there. Go home. And the next morning, back to headquarters, down the hall and into the office. Two men are waiting for you. Morning, Danny. Morgan. This is Lieutenant Clover, Russ. I am. Apologize for shaking with the left hand. Sling on the right, courtesy of your medical department. How are you feeling, Russ? Fit, fit. Shoulder aches a little, that's all. Yeah. Russ says he hardly knows what happened last night, Danny. Oh? Emotions. 
Like I told Detective Muggerman here, since I was a lad, a bundle of nerves. You know what a doc once told me I did? I reject. Every time something large happens to me, I reject. My mind refuses to remember. Imagine. Isn't that interesting, Danny? However did I get here in this condition, that's what I'd like to know. I want you to think about it, Russ. I want you to think hard. Try to remember. I re- Don't talk, Russ. Just think. Who could have done it? What happened? Maybe I can help you, Russ. Oh, gee, I need it. Now, we can book you on about eight counts, the way I figure. Because I was shot? Oh, how do you like this memory of mine? It's suddenly like a... What happened last night, Russ? As clear as anything. I can tell you to the detail. I walked into this back room, saw a gun on the table. I picked it up, and being cleanly by nature, I started to clean it. It went off. Fired four shots into the wall before it got to you? I couldn't control it. It was alive in my hand. There wasn't any gun in that room, Russ. Wonder where it is. Wonder what became... Danny? What do you want, Sergeant? On searching our records, I have come up some news about this Russ Warner. Mm. Good morning, Mr. Warner. I have some news about you. Last week, you were in a fight with one Joe Hayden, a street brawl. What about it, Russ? Well, Joe's a friend of mine. We were just seeing who was stronger. You got this Joe Hayden's address, Gino? Indeed, I do. Here. Thanks. Lock this man up, Gino. Come along, Mr. Warner. Unless you can afford not to do so. What do you mean, Sergeant? Bail has been set for you pending hearing. Nice round figure, too. $5,000. Material witness to whatever transpired last evening. Uh, reach into my pocket, will you please, Sergeant? I think you'll find the dough in my wallet. I carry such sums for emergencies. And I'm really sorry I caused all of you so much trouble. Honestly. So long. certain kinds of people knock like that. You ain't fat enough to be a bill collector. This makes you what? Police. Bingo, I know it. <laughs> I got an ear for talent. Let's kick it around inside, huh, Mr. Hayden? And the missus is taking her afternoon beauty sleep. Usually she comes out of it like a cat. All claws and teeth. <laughs> Want to take a chance? We'll try it, huh? Brave man, brave, brave man. <laughs> Brightens the day when I meet men like you. Come on in. Look at her. Oh, she makes a sofa a dream book. Wake her. <laughs> Would never miss this for the world. Honey. Honey, baby. Come on, Lolly, wake up. Come on, hit the deck, honey. We got a police. <laughs> police? <laughs> the magic word, like a kiss. Yeah, Lolly, please, come on. Well, find him a piece of fruit and send him away. Mm-hmm. Can't do that, huh? I got a feeling police want something else. What? Hmm? <laughs> My Laurie asked it for me. A baby Laurie. What do you want? You know Russ Warner? A chap named Warner? Let me freshen it up for you. You were in a fight with him last week. Oh, that Russ. <laughs> what didn't he say, Laurie? What was the fight about? <laughs> Tell him, Laurie. Yeah, sure, honey. Well, it's this way, man from the police. Two old Chicago friends like Joe and Russ. Two old friends like that meet after two years being apart from each other. What do they do? Beat each other up. It's common courtesy. And Russ with a bullet hole in his shoulder. What's that called? This good thing happened to Russ. Nobody tells till now. Happened last night. Henry's Bar, 3rd Avenue and 12th. Well, what do you know? <laughs> Where was I last night, honey, to miss a thing like that? Don't you remember, Joe? Mm-hmm. You're lying. 
all day. Never left my side. Sure. Sure. <laughs> How could I forget a thing like that? Oh, Lori, baby. <laughs> Lori's your alibi, huh? <sighs> Was ever a pretty one? Honestly. You sound a real happy Russell's hurt. You don't see it eye to eye, you hate him? I'm full awake now, so I'll tell you. Russ and my Joe were hoods together once in Chicago, close as two years ago. Joe met me, gave it up, because I was better. Uh, tell him, honey. <laughs> yeah, wait, Joe. A week ago, Russ was standing against a lamppost, waved Joe over to him, invited him back into the old days. They messed with it a while. Joe wanted no part of it. Joe was the one who walked away. Strong Joe. Because he had you. Mm-hmm. Because he had me. You know what I did to keep it that way? No. Tell me. I long-distanced the call to chums in Chicago. Thought they'd care to know Russ Warner was loose here. Looks like they brought along a bullet. Found Russ. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gotta be, Lori. Go back to sleep, baby. The police is leaving. Uh, you mind letting me have one of those cigarettes, Lieutenant? No, not at all. Oh, here. Thank you. Light? Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank Why do you think that stuff would be coming over the teletype in Chicago? Oh, oh that's standby now. Here it comes. Uh, Russ Warner arrested for assault, 1935. Assault with deadly weapon, 1937. Assault with deadly weapon, 1940. Released all three counts for lack of evidence. Known associated with Martin... Uh, What's the trouble? I don't know what the trouble is, Lieutenant. They just stopped sending. You fellas play games with each other like this? <laughs> That's probably Officer Westfall in Chicago. He gets in front of a teletype machine, tries to make a drama out of it. What? Oh, here it goes. Uh, known associated with Martin Cato, suspected policy rackets. Uh, well, that isn't a whole lot. No, no, wait a minute. No arrests listed for Joe Hayden of Chicago. You know, uh, Martin Cato... Left Chicago four days ago for New York City via 1952 red convertible, Illinois license number Y1647. Suggest you check whereabouts in your city. <laughs> That's Westfall. He suggests we check. <laughs> Someday when you have time, Lieutenant, I'll show you some of the things he sent over the telephone. Thanks, officer. I don't have the time. <laughs> So another name had intruded itself, Martin Cato, a name with a familiar sound, a name bandied about at crime investigations on reform platforms and smilingly on the lips of citizens who like to bet a buck against destiny. Martin Cato was in New York. Find him. Find out why. Find out why he was suddenly no longer in Chicago, but in the rough vicinity of a shooting the night before. He was easy to find. A red convertible, a big grinning man whose face had been in the newspapers often enough to be recognized anywhere. And a policeman spots him going into the Heath Hotel on Madison. Go there, be told Mr. Cato has taken a suite on the ninth floor, so ride nine flights up for a visit. The door's open, boy. Come on in. Put the drink right out. Who are you? 
My name's Danny Clover. I'm from the police. Why? What are you doing in New York, Cato? You come to shoot up a man named Russ Warner? I come here because I like New York, mister. Don't you try to arrange to do things you like, mister? You're just here on a visit, huh? Yeah, that's right, a visit. Been three years I haven't ice skated in Rockefeller Center. I'm going shopping for blades today. Where's a nice place to shop, huh? Russ. Ross, don't be crazy. Russ. Russ, can you hear me? What's he got under his coat? A gun? It looked like he was... Not a gun, Cato. For hurt. Russ Warner's dead. Murdered. You are listening to Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Like Old Man River, the comedy just keeps rolling along every Sunday night when CBS Radio presents Amos and Andy. Tomorrow night, over most of these same stations, the kingfish is sure to be up to his usual monkey business. And it's sure to make a monkey out of gullible Andy Brown. Listen for yourself. Don't let one minute of the fun get away. Tomorrow and every Sunday night, it's CBS Radio's two and only Amos and Andy. When it's winter and the chill wind puffs down from the river, Broadway is a place of regret. The new dreams made for the new year show their first fraying. The golden girls are wrapped in fur coats somebody else could afford. It's the time of the galosh, the noisy radiator, and the cold linoleum on the bare feet. The mornings are filled with the numbing hours and dead cigarettes in the bottom of paper cups. It's January, snow time, wool muffler time. The time to be on speaking terms with relatives in Miami Beach. And it was a winter's room where I was, chilled by the touch of a man newly dead, a man named Russ Warner. Standing over him, another resident of Chicago, newly arrived. The big man in the handsome clothes, the hoodlum, called Cato, called Martin Cato. One thing you had to be sure of, mister, twisted any way you like, I didn't kill Russ. Oh? You were right here when he walked in. You know as much about it as I do. Ah, no, I don't. What have you been doing all day, Cato? Sleeping. All day, huh? I'm noted for it. I'm going to tell you something. Unless you show me how I'm wrong, I'm booking you for suspicion of murder. You think you can make it stick? I didn't say that. I said I'm going to book you for suspicion. And I'm going to tell you what I suspect. That you shot Russ a little while ago and left him for dead, only he didn't die. He came up here to get you, Cato. Is he uh, wearing a gun? I'll see. Yeah. Yeah, he is. That makes it pretty tough for me, huh? I don't know how tough it makes it, Cato. Look, I don't want to repeat myself. It's a thing about suspicion of murder all over again. Yeah, you want to hear a story? That's up to you. Russ worked for me in Chicago. Ran errands for me. That's a pretty thrilling story. That's Wait a, re- a minute, will you? Let me tell you about it. Hurry up. I sent Russ on an errand for me to buy something worth $100,000. To buy what? A yacht, maybe. I don't remember. He had a hundred grand of mine, and he ran. And you chased him, caught up with him. Then. I caught him in the back room of that bar, mister, and teased him. All right, I put a slug in his shoulder just to tell him the reason I came to New York. To let him know I want my dough. I didn't kill him. I'm glad you told me all that, Cato. 
You can't book me on suspicion of murder, mister. Assault with a deadly weapon. Let's try that one, huh? You won't argue that one, will you? Thanks, Cale. Shrimp boats is a-coming, they're coming tonight. Shrimp boats is a-coming, they're coming tonight. Oh, won't you hurry, hurry, hurry home. Or won't Happy, you... Gino? No question. Hurry, hurry, hurry home. Hurry, hurry home. Isaba, Isaba. What makes you so happy? Questions, questions, questions. Danny, I'm surprised at you. All right, but I still don't know what makes you so happy. Well, doesn't it stick out all over me, then? Hmm? Doesn't it stick out? I'm happy because one of the nation's major hoodlums, Martin Cato by name, is in now beating his head against the walls of our local folky. True or false? True. Correct. And is it not also true communications has been flipping its lid with the song of the teletype from our Chicago way? There's such a to-do. To wit, that from the years 1945 through 48, the newly deceased Roswana was married to one Laurie Croft, also of Shy. Laurie? The same Laurie who in the summer of 48 divorced said Roswana. And in the winter, promised to love, honor, obey, and alibi for one Joe Hayden. The same Joe Hayden who last week beat up Russ Warner. Call Muggerman, Gino. Tell him to meet me downstairs with a squad car. Goes without saying, Danny. The effects of Russ Warner were gathered, sorted, and microscoped, Danny. No hundred grand was found. Muggerman, Sergeant Tartaglia, get a squad car. Meet Lieutenant Clover downstairs. That is all. <laughs> Okay, you sure you know... Don't worry about it. If I need you, I'll be the first to let you know. Oh. Don't I remember you from out of some deep sleep? Sure you do. I want Joe, Mrs. Hayden. Doesn't everybody. Is he in there? If he was, I'd go to a head shrinker, have my head bumps examined, for recurrent dreams about a man who isn't there. I'll take a look. I'll let you do that even if you don't tickle my nose with a warrant. I'll make myself thin so you can pass through the door without us touching. Thanks. Oh, you did. Am I surprised? Two rooms. Make it two and a half. Help yourself. What he told me, while running his hands through my hair, pulling it back from my face, was he was all of a sudden called out of town. You think I should believe a man when he tells me like that? Tell you where he was going? Uh-uh. He had me enchanted. So when he says, pack me a bag, I pack it for him. Oh? Yeah, oh. I take out the cardboard suitcase, toss in his shirts, a few outer garments, a few under. Dr. West's medium so his teeth will shine bright and pretty at whoever he went to smile at. Wherever they are. Like that, huh? You packed his bag, kissed him goodbye, and never asked where her husband was going. Because I love him so. Maybe there was another reason. A girl has to have another reason? A hundred thousand dollars could be another one. A hundred thousand... Has a sweet sound. 
Tell how come I never heard it before. The hundred thousand Joe killed Russ Warner for. Russ? That tired boy Russ had money like that? Took it away from Martin Cato, carried it around New York, lost it to Joe Hayden, abandoned his life. <laughs> you think... <laughs> no. Oh, you think... What? Joe made me pack some bundles wrapped in old newspapers under the shoes. When I asked him what they were, he kissed my mouth shut. Said, don't worry about it, baby. You think my lover boy, Joe, did that to me? You know where he is, Laurie. Tell me. It'll be easier for you. The boy rented a car from the U-Drive down the street. That's all I know. All he told me. Sick him, police. Chain him to a wall. I'll walk back and forth in front of him. Just to tease. Sick him, police. So go down to the corner and question the man who runs the U-Drive at Garage. Sure, you're told. The man you're looking for rented a car a few hours ago. Here's the make car and license number. So thank him and leave. The All Points Bulletin, find Joe Hayden. And wait. And get lucky. I picked him up at the airport, Danny. An off-duty officer was waiting to meet a friend on an incoming plane. Spotted him. He's being held there. So get a squad car and ride across the face of a city. The sound you make is like broken glass slashing against its heart. You see the terror, silent and quick, in the blur of crowd making way for you. And finally, you get there, the airport. Uh, there they are, Danny. Over there. Officer Candles is with him. Yeah, I see them. Okay, officer, we'll take it from here. You almost made it, Joe. Yeah, almost. It's a story of my life. Put them on, Muggerman. Right. Come on, come on. Don't be bashful, Hayden. Just slip these on your wrist. What happened to your car, Joe? Ditched it. You almost threw us off at that, kid. You see? Almost again. Okay. Muggerman, open his bag. Sure. Now what, Danny? Just make sure the money's in it, then we can get out of here. Don't bother messing up the shirts. The dough is there. Wrap newspaper. Yeah, you find it, Danny. What? Nothing in here but shirts, socks, and underwear. You're crazy. The door, the hundred thousand, it's got to be there. Turn that suitcase upside down, Muggerman. Empty it. Shirts, socks, and underwear. That door, I don't know what goes on here, but... You know what goes on here, Joe. Now you do. Come on, let's go. Big surprise, a case in my coat pocket. Now I'll get it. Call your wife, Joe. Laurie. Laurie, honey bun. Laurie, sweet. Hi, Laurie. Joe? Creaky detectives, too. You know Lieutenant Clover's friend here's Detective Mugger. We disturbing you, Mrs. Hayden? I was getting used to being without Joe. What'd you louse it for? Muggerman? Mm-hmm. That room Mrs. Hayden came out of the bedroom. Take a look. Right. They put cuffs on me, Laurie. That's real tough. Is that all you've got to say? Oh, my poor Joe. How sorry I am for you. Look what's become of you. Poor Joe. Is that what you want me to say? You're forgetting something. How's it coming, Muggerman? Give me a chance, Danny. Detective Muggerman's looking for $100,000, Mrs. Hayden. Did you hear me, Mrs. Hayden? 
Look, all of you, get out of here. They can't do that, Laurie. You know they can't do that. That's right. We can't. It's got murder in it. You got your boy. What more do you want? Laurie! Take it easy, Joe. That's better. The man said it's got murder in it, Laurie. What do I care what the man Danny? said? Danny? Yeah? Here it is. A sample. Hundred dollar bill. The rest of it's in there. A suitcase. How are you, Laurie? Dear wife, Laurie. Loving wife, Laurie. First time I was here, this place was drenched with love. What's happened to it? What's happened to it is what you said, murder. Now another thing. Greed? Yeah. Yeah, that's my lorry. My lorry, all mine. Want to tell us how you got this money, Mrs. Hayden? Yeah, I'll tell. An old friend came back to me. Russ Warner, huh? Man you were once married to. Yeah, seems he never forgot the happiness. He remembered how he missed a few allowances when we were man and wife, and he thought he'd make it up. The consideration of the man. So you knew all about the $100,000. The last time I was here, you were surprised when I mentioned it. All that money makes me coy with strangers. Cut it out, Lori. Listen to him. They know what happened. They figured what happened. All the way here, they've been telling me. What do you want to lie for? It's not going to do you any good. What'd you tell him, Joe? What'd you tell him, Joe? He didn't tell us anything. He didn't have to tell us anything. They know, Laurie. They know. How Russ showed you the money he'd stolen from Cato. How he wanted you to run away with him. How you... Laurie. How you shot Russ, Mrs. Hayden. That's what your husband's trying to say. Then you showed the money to your husband, Mrs. Hayden. Told him to take the money and go away. You'd meet him later. You packed your suitcase for him, but somehow it slipped your mind to put the money in it. Russ knew where the money was. That's why he went to Cato to tell him. Laurie, you just wanted me to go away, didn't you? Then you would go someplace with the money without me. Laurie, why? Laurie, if if you'd have trusted me with the money, I'd have done anything for you. I would have said I'd kill Russ. Anything you wanted, I gave it to you. I tried to do it. Like Russ? What happened to us, Laurie? What did I do? Tell me why I was wrong. <laughs> Listen to him cry. <laughs> Just like Russ, we cried too. Before I shot him, big tears in his eyes. That big. A cry baby. You ever have a woman have two husbands like that? It's a street of sounds, this Broadway. The hissing of the neon through the winter wind. The faraway echo of a girl's laughter. The rasping of life deep inside the earth. And the other sounds, the sighs, the whispered pleas that no one hears. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my beat. Broadway's My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Tortaglia and Jack Crucian as Mugovan. The program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis with musical score composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. In tonight's story, Mary Jane Croft was heard as Laurie Hayden and Anthony Barrett as Joe Hayden.
Featured in the cast were Jack Moyles, Hal March, and Herb Butterfield. Every Sunday night on most of these same stations, Broadway Playhouse brings you exciting dramatic entertainment. This is the program on which an established star with national fame lends a hand to a newcomer on his or her way up the ladder towards stardom. Don't miss Broadway Playhouse Sunday nights on CBS Radio for a great story and for a personal success story as well. Bill Anders speaking. And remember, the comedy treat that can't be beat is Jack Benny time Sunday nights on the CBS Radio Network. Clinic, stories of the world's great detectives, Men Against Murder. Each week at this time, WOR Mutual turns the spotlight on one of the world's great detectives of fiction and invites you to listen to the story of his most exciting case. Tonight, Madame Rosica's story in The Scrap of Lace. Madam Story, your being at Murder Clinic is certainly a novelty. You're surprised to see a woman detective, Mr. Knight? That's right. And even more surprised to see a very beautiful detective. (laughs) (laughs) It's a queer business for a woman. (laughs) Most people think so, Mr. Knight. But you see, being a woman gives me one great advantage. My adversaries usually underestimate me. Yes, I suppose they would. (laughs) Now, what's the tale you're going to tell us, Madam Story? It's called The Scrap of Lace. I chose it because it seems to me so unusual a crime. A strange story of jealousy and death. Of course you know the great family of Kruger who ruled New York society for generations. When Mrs. Peter John Kruger III died, her mantle descended as a matter of course to Mrs. Peter John Kruger IV. This beautiful and charming young woman, Mimi by name, Inherited not only her mother-in-law's scepter, but also Teresa de Guion. Teresa de Guion was the first and certainly the greatest of social secretaries. The story begins one summer morning at Karis Woods, the enormous and rather monstrous Kruger estate in Upper Westchester. Mimi and Teresa de Guion were together in the breakfast room. Oh, Teresa, must we go to that dull dinner at the Bransoms tonight? I think I'll call it off. Mimi, you simply can't do that. Hmm? The dinner's being given for you. Hmm. I was most insistent that I be consulted about the other guests. After all, my dear, you have certain responsibilities. 
Your mother-in-law, Mrs. Kruger III... Yes, I know. She was a paragon of the social virtues. She didn't mind being bored to death. Oh, Mimi, you are so lax. What would you do without me? <laughs> ah, you worry too much, Teresa. You're living in the past. Your little assistant, Louise Mayfield, could possibly take over very well. Louise? Louise Mayfield? That's that child. My dear Teresa, she's 21 and very competent. After all, you trained her. Yes, and I am very fond of Louise. She's like a daughter to me. But take my place? Why, surely you're joking, my dear. Oh, yes, yes, of course. You know, Mimi, I'm a bit worried about Louise. She's been acting very odd lately. This party she's going to tonight, I have no idea where it is or who her hostess is to be. Well, wherever it is, she'll have a better time than I will. You know, Teresa, I shouldn't be surprised if Louise has been acting strangely because she's trying to keep away from my handsome cousin, Jack Rowcliffe. She doesn't seem very grateful to you, Teresa, for arranging to marry him off to Vera McPeak. Jack Rowcliffe and Vera McPeak are a splendid match. He has family, position. Vera is young. She can be molded. She can be taught. Oh, oh, certainly, yes. And her father has 100 millions. But I don't blame Jack for straying from the fold. Louise is very lovely, and I find Vera a very trying guest. In fact, I find it all very trying. Mr. Guillaume? Oh, there's Louise. Uh, Louise, we're in the breakfast room. Uh, come in here, my dear. Good morning, Mrs. Stuger. Mrs. Guillaume, did you want me this morning? Uh, no, Louise, I did. Teresa insists we go to this dinner tonight. Jack and Vera are going with us. We'll be leaving around seven. Uh, tell Jack, won't you? Must I, Mrs. Kruger? Mrs. Kruger has asked you to deliver a message. Do so, my dear. Jack, I came only to tell you about the dinner. Oh, Louise. Please. Must we go through all this again? Why don't you leave me alone? Because I'm mad about you, Louise. Can't you understand? I'm in love with you. I want you to marry me. You. Marry and support a wife. Don't be silly, Jack. Does sound silly, doesn't it? But I'm changed, I tell you. You've changed me, Louise. I love you. There's, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. And what about Vera McPeak? Oh. No, Jack. I'm afraid you've been bought, paid for, and delivered. Vera won't let you go so easily. I'll tell her tonight that I'm through, Louise. I'll meet her at the dinner and tell her, and then I'll come back here to you. Come back if you like, Jack. Good. I'll be back at about... But I won't be here. Where are you going, Louise? Why don't you tell me? It's not a man. I know it's another man. Who is it? Who is it? Nonsense has gone far enough. What I do is my own business. Do you understand that, Jack? No, it's my business. You're mine, Louise. Do you hear? You're mine. I'll have you or no one else will. Jack, let go of my wrist. Louise, tell me. You're hurting me. Please. Louise, I want to know. Let me go. Well, Jack, you're yeah. making passes at the servants, I see. And perhaps it's just as well you saw. Might as well have this out now. Shut up. I can handle this. Pretty easy to see what Miss Mayfield's little game is. She thinks she'll marry into the great Kruger clan. Well, let me tell you, Miss Mayfield. Jack hasn't got a cent to his name and never will have. Vera, please. I understand perfectly, Miss McKeith. I assure you, I have no ambitions in Mr. Roker's direction. Quite the lady, aren't you, Miss Mayfield? Well, watch your step. Sure, I know what you all think of me. Vulgar. Common. But let me tell you. We common claim a peak from Pittsburgh and know how to get what we want. And we know how to keep it. 
Think that over, Miss Mayfield. Think that over. Yes, come in. It was in, please. Madam Kruger has sent me to help you dress for your engagement. <laughs> come in, look. How thoughtful of Mrs. Kruger to send this to Dan. Have they gone? But me, because she left long ago. Oh, don't you see, we're not happy. Monsieur Jacques? He say nothing. And Mademoiselle, his fiancée, the ugly one, she... <laughs> oh, you say, she's very angry. Even Madame, she wants not to go. Well, let's not think of them, Suzanne. I'm happy, and I'm going to have a wonderful time. Now, Mademoiselle is très charmante. Very lovely. It is a treat you go to, Nipa. It is for your young man that your eyes shine so. Hmm? <laughs> Maybe. You're too smart, Suzanne. How do I look? Oh, rubbish, Mademoiselle. You eat you up. You are so lovely. Suzanne, you are a darling. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. A letter from Miss Macy. Oh, thanks. It is a letter for you, Mademoiselle. Come on. That's a thick one, isn't it? Oh, how lovely. What an exquisite handkerchief. Why, who could have sent it to me? Madame Kruger must have sent it. It is one of the six she bought in Paris. It is perfect, Mademoiselle, for your costume, Nipa. Oh, it's lovely. What a darling Mrs. Kruger is. She is most generous. Shall I put the scent, the perfume, and it, Mademoiselle? No, thank you. I'll do it myself, Suzanne. Oh, just put that bottle of gardenia perfume on my dressing table, please. Oui, Mademoiselle. Now you can go, Suzanne. I won't need you anymore. Merci, Mademoiselle. Good night, Suzanne, and thank you. Hmm. Oh, it's so lovely. One more time. Mimi, I have never had to cope with anything so, so sordid. Teresa, how, how can you think of appearances with Louise, that beautiful child, lying I... in there dead? But I must think of them. After all, Dr. Plummer refuses to sign a death certificate. <laughs> that old fossil with his hints of foul play. Maybe he's right, Vera. Maybe what do you a... mean, Jack? What do you know of Louise Mayfield's death? Well, I... Stop wrangling, you two. Dr. Plummer was kind enough to give us 36 hours. He's risking a great deal going as far as that. Oh, why doesn't Madam Story get here? Are you sure you acted wisely in calling her in, Mimi? Well, it was either she or the police. You said she had a reputation for discretion. Come in. Yes? Madam Rosita Story and Miss Bella Brickley. Thank heaven you're here, Madam Story. This is a terrible situation. Terrible. Oh, but let me introduce you. I am Teresa de Guion. This is Mrs. Peter John Kruger III. How, How do, do you do? do? Miss McPeak. Hello. Mr. Rokeless. How do you do, How do, you do? It was good of you to come so quickly, Madam Story. 
This unfortunate accident is likely to create a distressing scandal for Mrs. Kruger. Accident, Mr. Guillaume? From what you told me over the phone, I gathered Louise Mayfield had been murdered. Nonsense. We don't know that, Madam Story. Nobody does. We only know Louise is dead. Poor child. We found her when we returned last night from our dinner party. It is nonsense, Teresa, and you know it. Madam Story is perfectly right. It'd be very foolish to ask her help and not, not give her all the facts. What facts, Mimi? Just because that old fossil of a Dr. Plummer won't give a death certificate. If you ask me, it's a nice little scheme to get you to hire this story woman and with whatever she can manage to get out of you. Sarah, that's an interesting idea, Miss McPhee, though I must confess that the simple and clever scheme would never have occurred to me. But surely Dr. Plummer offered some other reason for refusing a death certificate. Yes. He says... Oh, it's impossible, but... He says Louise was asphyxiated. Oh, fool, there isn't a gas outlet in the house. How helpful of you to know that, Miss McPhee. You won't mind, will you, if I check for myself? No, I don't mind what you do. Oh, what's the use of all this? We've nothing to tell. All of us were at a dinner party 20 miles from here together. When we got home after 11, we found Louise, well, that is, Miss Mayfield, dead. I see. Mr. Guillaume, when you phoned me, you said something about some missing object. Suzanne, the maid, insists a lace handkerchief came in the mail for Louise as she was dressing to leave. When we found her, the handkerchief had disappeared. Very interesting. Suppose I start, then, by questioning this maid, Suzanne. Maybe she can tell me more about this missing handkerchief. Good morning, Bella. Good morning, Madam Story. Typing last night's notes, I see. Yes. Say, you look worried. What is it? Oh, how can one look out at that peaceful garden and realize that in this house there's someone carrying the mark of Cain on their soul? And you believe Louise Mayfield's death was not a natural one? That she was murdered? No doubt of it. Bella, that girl was asphyxiated. Oh, how horrible. So young and so full of life. And it's our job to find out who killed her. Have you finished typing those notes you took at our interminable interviews last night? Not quite. I'm almost finished. Well, then I think I'll step out in the terrace. Maybe the fresh air will help me think. Something is bothering you. Yes, Bella. What happened to that lace handkerchief Louise Mayfield received in the mail? I'm sure that was the thing that killed her. I must find it. Do call me when you're through with those notes, please. <laughs> Madam Story, you come out and shame the flowers and dim the sunlight. You always make such pretty speeches, even so early in the morning, Mr. Rochliffe. Oh, beautiful lady, you remember my name. Yours would be a difficult name to forget, Mr. Rochliffe. Hmm? Thanks to the Rotogravure and the Picture Magazine. Oh, that. You know, I had no hope of ever meeting you. I can't aspire to your circle. Much too clever. Hmm, it all depends. I should say that you were quite clever enough. For your own purposes, Mr. Wilkert. <laughs> I'm just a lightweight. <laughs> I wonder. I see you're standing out under her window. That is Miss Mayfield's room up there, isn't it? Yes. Well, that was her room. Ivy-clad walls, old English ivy. Sturdy and strong, too. I wonder why the vines are so torn and broken. Oh, are they? I, I hadn't noticed. You loved Louise Mayfield very much, didn't you? Yes, 
I loved him more than anything in life. And she? Why should she care for me? What am I? Nothing but a wastrel. She was in love with someone else. I know it. I could tell. But if I'd known who it was, I... Why didn't you tell me, Mr. Rowcliffe? You'd left your dinner party and came back here last night. How did you know that I did? I didn't. You just told me. Thank you. There, you see, I I told you you're too clever for me. What time was it when you got here? Well, I don't, don't know. It was about 9.30, I think. I see. You came around back here in the garden. You saw a light in her window, called her, got no answer. And you climbed that ivy up to her window, didn't you? Well, I... Who saw me? Nobody, as far as I know. That broken ivy tells its own story, but not all of it. Tell me, what did you do when you got up there? I suppose you're thinking that I killed her. I wouldn't blame you if you did. I don't care much if you do. I've got nothing more... Please, please, Mr. Rooker. I'm sorry. Well, I I went in and found her lying there on the floor, dead. Like the coward I am, I got scared. How could I explain my being there? So I climbed down again, the way I went up, and drove back to Quaker Ridge. I suppose you don't believe me. Suppose I say I reserve judgment. Now, will you give me the handkerchief that you took from Louise Mayfield's hand? How did you know that? It's obvious. I suppose that you took it as a remembrance of her. Yes, I, I did. It was the last thing she had touched. Here it is. Madam Story, Madam Story, could you come into the office a moment? We'll continue this talk later, Mr. Rowcliffe. Will you excuse me now, please? This letter was pushed under the door. Did you open it, Bella? No. I saw it was addressed to Louise Mayfield, so I called you. I see. Hmm, it's postmark Briarcliff. Here's a notation on the envelope in pencil. Hmm. Not a very literate correspondent, Bella. If you want to buy any more info about this letter, we can make a deal. I'll drop around at 11. Well, you have long to wait. Now, let's read the letter. Darling, I can hardly wait till Tuesday night when I'll see you again. I'm moving heaven and earth to arrange things so we'll be together for always. All my love, dear. It's signed J. J? That must be Jack Rowcliffe. In the light of what we know of their relationship, does it sound like Jack Rowcliffe? No, that's stupid of me. But the initial. It could be the J stands for John. Peter... Peter John Kruger. Uh-huh. It must be our mysterious correspondent. No. Come in. Well, ladies, there I am. Johnny on the spot, like I says. Do we do business? You're the Kruger chauffeur, aren't you, Mr. Uh... Gargan's the name. Chauffeur and bodyguard. I'm sure you're efficient in both departments, Mr. Gargan. But uh, why the bodyguard? Well, it's like this. The Krugers are important people, see? Mm-hmm. They're likely to be bothered by cranks and other undesirable citizens, get it? They need protection. And I'm the guy that can protect them. Yes, I can see that, Gargan. But now, um, about this letter. Yeah, that's right. Well, do I sing or don't I? That depends on your song, Gargan. First, tell me. How did you manage to get hold of this letter? Well, it's like this. I always get the mail, see? And I always deliver it. But yesterday, Mrs. Kruger and the old dame are with me. I go in and get the mail, and I look through it to see if there's something for me. And I see this letter. When I come out to the car... Mrs. Kruger says, give me the mail. I hands it to her. And when I get it back, this letter ain't with the others. 
Well, I don't think much about it till last night when this Mayfield dame has bumped off. Then I begin to smell a rat. And this morning, I did a little mooching around. And here it is. Very graphic, Gargan. How's that? Oh, skip it. Now, uh, what further information have you to give us, Gargan? I can tell you who sent that letter to the Mayfield dame. So? For how much? Half a G. Five hundred dollars? That's an expensive song, Gargan. Ah, nuts. You can put it on the expense account. You're right. Nuts it is. The five hundred dollars is yours. Thanks. There you are. Now, who sent this letter to Louise Mayfield? Well, it was the one... Gargan! Madam Story... Is he dead? Yes. The shot came through that window. But why? To keep him from telling us who sent that letter to Louise. Help me put him in that closet over there. Rizik, I won't let you. You can't. You've got to report it. If I report it now, the police would interfere with all my plans. I need 24 hours. You're risking your reputation. We've taken risks before. But this is concealing a murder. Why do you need 24 hours? To learn the secret of this, Bella. Why? Well, that's one of Mrs. Kruger's handkerchiefs. No, Bella. It's the handkerchief. The one Rokeliff found on Louise Mayfield's body. I'm... Staking my reputation on this little scrap of lace. Madam Story, Potter is back. Oh, that's good, Bella. Did he bring back the handkerchief from the laboratory report? Yes, here they are. Hmm, just as I thought. Oh, what a horrible use for such a lovely thing. This handkerchief was the murder weapon, Bella. But how could it have been? Because our murderer knew that Louise Mayfield used gardenia toilet water. But can we find out who sent it? I rather think we can. Bella, get those four lace handkerchiefs that Suzanne got for me from Mrs. Cougar. What are you going to do now? Now, my dear Bella, I'm going out to present a noose to a murderer. <laughs> Mr. Rowcliffe, I wanted to return this handkerchief to you for safekeeping. I'll want it back tomorrow morning. I don't know how at present. But I feel this handkerchief will be the means of proving who killed Louise Mayfield. So, guard it carefully. Well, I'll do that. You can depend on me, Madam Story. Thank you, Mr. Rowcliffe. Pete, the greatest proof that I'm not against you is that I'm going to ask you to keep this handkerchief for me. The most important piece of evidence I have. I have no assurance the murderer would not kill me to get it back. But it would never be supposed that I'd given it to you to guard. Will you keep it for me until tomorrow morning? No, don't worry. I'll keep it safe. Thank you, Miss McPeak. Kruger, it's the handkerchief. It's the one that was sent to Louise Mayfield. Where'd you get it? Can't tell you that now, but I'm afraid it was the cause of her death. Oh, how horrible. What I'm going to ask you to do is to hold it for me just until tomorrow morning. But, Mr. Guion, you can help. What is the real situation, Madam Story? Oh, I wish I knew. I suspect, but I have no proof. I can go no further without the assistance from the chemist. Whom do you suspect? Oh, you know. I'm afraid I do. Well, what I want you to do is to keep this for me until tomorrow morning. (laughs) 
Mrs. Kruger, I've asked you, Miss Guion, Miss McPeak, and Mr. Rowcliffe to meet me here this morning in order that we may determine who murdered Louise Mayfield. Why, you know, what do you mean? You, you know, Madam Story? You, you know who killed her? I believe I do, Mrs. Kruger, but I hope to prove it. I know that lace handkerchief was sent to her through the mail was the murder weapon. Perhaps that can tell us something. May I have the handkerchief, please? Why, certainly. Sure, oh, here yeah. you are. Why, I thought I it... don't understand. I say, what is this? No, a trick. That's right, Miss McPeak, a trick. But one only a guilty person need fear. You but know, really, Madam Story, I don't Bella. understand. Yes, Madam Story. Please take the handkerchiefs one at a time. Mark each in pencil with the initials of the person from whom you receive it. May I have the handkerchief? One at a time. Well, all right. Now, Bella, spread them out on your desk with the initials turned face down. As you probably surmised, none of you had the original handkerchief. That has never left my possession. Here it is. But I don't understand. This handkerchief in my hand is impregnated with a deadly poison. When moistened with alcohol, it releases a lethal gas, which is instantly fatal. May I remind you that perfume is 90% alcohol, and a young girl about to go out on a romantic tryst would inevitably moisten it with perfume. How horrible. Yes, Mr. Guillaume, I agree with you. But surely you don't suspect any of us. Why not, Miss McPeak? I've found that a murderer is usually actuated by fear. Fear of what the victim might do to them. All of you faced that fear as far as Louise Mayfield was concerned. But one of you feared so deeply that you dared risk murder to protect what you had. You feared loss of position, prestige, supplanting by a younger, more attractive girl, loss of all that had made life worth living. That one person alone knew what the fatal handkerchief contained. I gave each one of you what you thought was that handkerchief. I was curious to see what disposition you would make of the evidence. Bella. Yes? Please examine those four handkerchiefs carefully. And when you've done that, tell me if any of them are changed since they left our hands last evening. Yes. This one has been washed. Washed? Well, I don't understand. Read the initials on it. T-D-E-G. Teresa. Teresa! Keep away from me. Keep away from me, I say. Keep away from me. I'll shoot. Why? Can't. She shot herself. Oh. It's all my fault. Poor Teresa. Poor thing. She she was old. She she couldn't stand it. She, She just couldn't stand it. No, Mrs. Kruger. It wasn't your fault. It was better so. The end of a passing world. Exit an era. You have been listening to Murder Clinic. Murder Clinic, the WOR Mutual Series, which brings you each week one exciting case. One member from the select band of the world's great detectives. 
Next week, Murder Clinic will bring you Sir Henry Merivale, known to his host of admirers as H.M. in Death in the Dressing Room. This famous detective finds a brilliantly clever pickpocket and discovers an even more clever murderer. Tonight's detective was Madame Rosica's story, played by Elizabeth Morgan. Original music was composed by Ralph Barnhart and conducted by Bob Stanley. This program was an international exchange feature over the coast-to-coast network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Tales told on Murder Clinic are adaptations by authors Lee Wright and John A. Bassett. Murder Clinic is produced under the direction of Alvin Flanagan. Frank Knight speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. That's Case Closed for this week. There's more from Murder Clinic, Broadway Is My Beat, past episodes of this podcast, and everything else Relic Radio at the website relicradio.com. You can also donate through the website if you'd like to help support this and all of the Relic Radio shows. Thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed.